Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Future of XYZ. I am so excited to introduce Elena uh, Lana Drell Zeifer. I'm trying to pronounce the last name, which I've always gotten wrong. Alana, it's so nice to see you. We're talking about the future of beauty, which you know a lot about. And it's great to see you too, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for doing this. So you're the CEO today of a company called Revive, which is a pretty incredible uh, skincare brand uh, in the luxury space, but created by um, a medical doctor, essentially, right? He was a plastic surgeon and dermatologist or something in this vein? Exactly right. He was a plastic and reconstructive surgeon and a, a skin researcher. And uh, it's through, you know, the work that he did, especially on burned wound healing, uh, that he learned about some important ingredients that had regenerative proper properties and many years later uh, put them to work in skincare. It's awesome and, and, and it's really cool because you've been there since kind of late 2017, but your entire career, if I've done my research correctly, has been, I mean, you started at Avon, you went to L'Oreal and Lancome and then Estee. I mean, you've pretty much been in the industry your whole career and at all of the big and small players is that true yes i mean yes i i did um basically uh yes i i spent almost eight years at l'oreal seven years at estee lauder three years at avon um and that is kind of my big the the big company phase of my career uh where i think i got you know a second and a third uh, mba in beauty and then for the past 12 years, uh, I've been running smaller companies for either private investors or for private equity firms. So I've had two different lives, but all in the same industry. It's pretty amazing. And you therefore have really, I think, and the reason I wanted you to be the person speaking about the future of beauty, because I think you have a very interesting and holistic point of view. Um, and, and there's so much happening in this space. I mean, it is growing every time we think that it can't grow anymore, it grows and, and it's only expected to continue growing, and not just in the US or in Europe, but I mean, APA, Asia Pacific is the largest market in the world. I mean, we we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars. But what is like, when we're talking about beauty, I think there are lots of ways people can define it. But in this instance, we're talking about the future of beauty. What, what kind of products or services are incorporated in that? Sure. Um, and, you know, I think, Lisa, that's a great question because I think that's one of the ways that the industry keeps growing is it's broadening its, its definition to some extent. So, you know, I think the way traditionally beauty was uh, defined were uh, products that were used for skincare, for hair care, for makeup, 
um, and sometimes for body care, uh, bought you know in different uh, points of distribution, whether it's mass market, prestige market, online, etc. Um, but today, I think you know the category is a little bit more expansive. I think beauty today includes wellness, um, and the definition of beauty definitely includes wellness. Uh, it's expanding to some extent to include sexual health. It's expanding to include um, ingestibles and people kind of talk about inner beauty and, um, you know, aesthetics, which were kind of kept very separate for a long time, are really considered part of beauty now, um, not surgery so much, but uh, you know, um, medical procedures like injectables, lasers, cool sculpting, et cetera. That are becoming much more common and I would say commonly accepted too. With, yes, without question. And I think, you know, at some point there was also this thought that, well, either you used products or you had services. And today there's an enormous amount of fluidity between both. And, you know, the, the ultimate luxury consumer is not about the choice of one or the other. It's more and more and more and more. <laughs> well, and especially because, I mean, I hate to say it, um, but the beauty industry is much maligned in many ways for really touting this younger, 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 always younger, especially with women. Um, and so this anti-aging and the more and more and more of the luxury consumer, in fact, is, is, I hate to say it, but that's what it thrives on, right? Is this it, and it's a very Western exported sense of what beauty is. Um, and yet it's being embraced by the whole world. And we all seem to be layering up more and more on like, oh, well, it's because it's accessible and it's and it's OK. What, what do you make of that? I mean, that's obviously I mean, it is the injectables market, the med spas, the way that you can get it at almost anywhere now. Right. Yeah. That's only going to continue to grow is my my read. Yeah, and I think, you know, certainly I agree, you know, that for a long time there was um, sort of a physical ideal that was kind of projected by Western beauty companies um, and an age ideal. I do think that that's kind of changed over time. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a, a little bit of push and pull while I think that that has led from an imagery perspective. I think there've also been ingredient advancements. I think there've been medical advancements. And so just the idea of, you know, extending life and extending quality of life and extending, um, you know, the, you know, sort of, age-long living, if you will, and then how you appear if you're living longer, it, it has many different influences. So I think, you know, beauty is just one, one piece of that. I, I, that's totally fair. And it comes back to the inner health and the nutraceuticals and the things that the wellness industry writ large and travel wellness. And, you know, it's, it's all kind of playing a part. And certainly coming out of COVID, I think many people who might not have been aware that this was an industry and needed have become aware of the need for that taking care of oneself. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that was um, a lot of people anticipated during COVID that, you know, like most consumer industries, that there would be sort of a halt um, because stores were closed. But in fact, you know, when people had more time to themselves and they weren't going out, uh, certain categories within beauty, hair care, uh, but skincare also really um, skyrocketed. 
color cosmetics, you know, no one was going out, so you didn't need the red lip. Uh, but, uh, you know, other than that, there was a lot of growth in, in several categories, including uh, at-home devices. You know, people couldn't get facials, so they were using all kinds of devices at home to replicate massage, lymphatic drainage, massage, laser, etc. Um, and so, you know, there was kind of a rebalancing, if you will, uh, in the industry. That and, and um, home beauty, like home fragrance and, um, you know, home scent. The essential oil type or, or not essential oil, but exactly. fragrance. And so, yeah, it makes sense because all of it, I mean, in some ways, beauty is the most accessible luxury category in the consumer space. I mean, now we're getting a little wonky You in, 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 in yours and my experience in consumer, but it is, it's an immediate luxury. A woman can buy a really fancy, you know, Givenchy or Lancome lipstick for $30, which is a lot for a lipstick. However, it can feel really luxurious for someone who can't afford, you know, to go and have a facial or who can't go, you know, and do something else that a luxury consumer traditionally can do. Yes, there's a very famous, um, I'm going to put it in air quotes, economic principle that was coined by Leonard Lauder, and it's called the lipstick index. Um, but it's basically that when actually that, that when the um, economy goes down, lipstick sales go up because women channel their purchases there as opposed to shoes, clothing, handbags, et cetera. It totally makes sense to me. And I remember this in 2008, you know, when there was like the, the piercing of the veil on luxury, you know, this whole conversation that was happening and yet beauty continued to skyrocket. But, but the beauty industry is changing, right? I mean, beauty has traditionally been, again, very much focused on women, on skincare, hair care, and, and, and make cosme color cosmetics. But it's evolving. You mentioned some innovations in technology. I think about homes, you know, lymphatic drainage, but I also think about, you know, uh, laser, but I also think a lot about ingredients uh, innovation. What, what is the future looking like in terms of ingredients as people demand more all natural, cruelty free, you know, yeah. et cetera? Well yeah, let me let me take a step back. I think one way actually that the beauty industry has been sort of a mirror of uh, popular culture um, and has advanced past a lot of industries in uh, is in who are the creators. So um, it's definitely a place where I think the the barrier to entry is kind of low. Uh, the barrier to success is sort of higher. Um, and there's there has been sort of a reckoning that it's been, uh, a pretty male-dominated and kind of Western and, and Anglo-Saxon-centric kind of cr creative um, industry. And so uh, one thing that I, I want to say is I think that there is a real um, acceptance and proliferation of um, new uh, indie brand founders uh, with a focus on different beauty concerns for uh, people of different races and ethnicities. Yeah. And through that, I think that there's a big introduction of new ingredients as well, uh, with a lot of fo some focus, right, on sort of natural remedies or, you know, um, on one area. And clean and natural has kind of been a theme in beauty for a long time. And yet, on the other hand, a lot of new technologies um, that kind of deal with different issues like 
skin dryness or, you know, different textures of hair or different skin concerns like melasma or dark spots, et cetera. So that's, I think, one area where beauty, I think, has is kind of leading to some um, extent and sort of welcoming in sort of like a, a new generation, if you will, of creators. So that's that's one. Um, you know, in terms of technology, I feel like there's a real, um, a little bit of a magnetic tension between, on one hand, you know, green, clean, natural, you know, consumers are highly educated and they're highly educated in whatever it is that there is their personal preference. And so that goes from things that are, you know, very clean and basic to things that are very forward in terms of science nearly boarding, you know, bordering on being an over-the-counter drug. Um, and there, and I think the industry is really broadened to be able to offer both. And the pendulum has sort of swung one way and then swung the other. And you know what what it, what the industry lacks a little bit is clear definitions on what's a gold standard of clean or what's a gold standard of natural or what's a gold standard of scientific but safe. And so as a result, there's a choice. Um, And I think that that's a great opportunity. Um, And and I think the industry has been sensitive to like not too much greenwashing, not too much science bashing, et cetera. You know, you sort of, that's where the swing goes back and forth. But I feel like at the moment, people are sort of in a good place where there's enough choice out there and just a lot of new innovation in each of the spaces. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a ton of choice. I mean, I think it's like the proliferation of brands in this space that you mentioned it in the very beginning. It used to be a couple of people owned the big, you know, stores, you go to a department store, maybe you'd go to then Sephora came along and you had these specialty places, but now so much is e-com, so much is direct to consumer. And there's just been this explosion. I mean, not to mention that, you know, you, you've been working with private equity and private investors, but like the venture money in beauty now is, is, is crazy. I mean, it's up, you know, 30 plus percent year on year in the last couple of years. And, you know, people like Rihanna, not necessarily her successor celebrity are making their brands worth billions of dollars. So yes, there is this choice and it's niche. And at the same time, I look at it always and say the counterbalance to this and clean and everything is like, the industry is kind of self-regulating in some weird way because government is, you know, the FDA doesn't, at least in the U.S., doesn't really get involved in some of this unless there's an active ingredient. Whereas, of course, the EU is much more involved. And I think it's, you know, it's a it's a factor of, you know, hundreds of thousands of ingredients that are banned there versus here. So it's, it's interesting. You have all these new players you have these direct to consumer, we're talking about the consumer being very well educated. And at the same time, it's kind of the wild west as well. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I think that becomes right, the, the one of the, this whole idea of globalization and sort of taking a brand and making it global, um, the idea of what are you working with? Can it be sold in Europe? Can you register your products in China, which is one of the biggest global markets? That's really where you know the the barrier to success becomes higher because you you need that experience level and and to understand you know those they're not even nuances you know they're very high bars for knowledge. 
Yeah, absolutely. Which is so interesting. And, and it's, I mean, as a CEO of a skincare company, I'm sure it's a, a pain to have to navigate all the different markets in Asia Pacific, of course, being the biggest, followed by the US, followed by Western Europe. But I mean, again, as, as we get outside of these Western norms of beauty, I mean, it is being exported everywhere there is a burgeoning middle class. So uh, the African continent, Latin America, South America, you know, uh, the Middle East, you have, you have a growing index. And so running a business that is global in nature, to your point, has many facets. Um, what do you see as kind of the future? Like where, where is the biggest market in the future? Where is the biggest opportunity? What's the most exciting thing that you see from that dimension? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with, you know, the business that I'm running, right? Because that's uh, what I'm closest to. You know, I think uh, in luxury skincare, uh, really Asia Pacific and then Southeast Asia really be, is what, what I would say is the biggest, you know, growth opportunity. You know, that being said, um, there is also, you know, once we go back to a normal world, if that's going to happen, a world where people can travel freely across borders. Let's, let's put it that way. I think, you know, there's a lot of fluidity in terms of, of um, those particular markets also coming to the U.S. The U.S. is still a big destination. And so there is, you know, I would say the more that your brand is known here and becomes, you know, customers there become aware, the more opportunity you have there. So, you know, from a luxury perspective, I think, you know, at least for the next five years, Asia Pacific, Southeast Asia are sort of the biggest growth market opportunities. Um, you know, from a, what I call sort of a category um, opportunity, you know, there for me, there are a couple of worlds that are kind of converging. Um, and they're the worlds of, you know, beauty, availability and distribution and kind of um, health and wellness internally meeting health and wellness externally. So, you know, my office is uh, on Lower Fifth Avenue and there's kind of this stretch. New York City, for anyone listening. Yeah, New York <laughs> City. Yes, New York, Fifth Avenue in New York City. And um, they're, they're kind of all of these kind of new kind of centers that have opened that are kind of a combination of um, helping people with um, sort of um, health and wellness, nutrition, mental health, uh, fertility, um, also understanding your intrinsic age based on some genetic factors and lifestyle, and at the same time, you know, recommending uh, supplements, but also saying you can address, you know, certain physical things with different procedures, you know, so it's kind of a, a blend, if you will, of sort of Eastern philosophies, a little bit of Western medicine, nutrition and aesthetics. Um, and I think the fact that all of these things are, are kind of coming together, I mean, there obviously has to be a demand, right? And I think it's, it's a little bit how people are thinking, right? Like, um, I'm going to see a nutritionist, but I'm also going to see a trainer, but I also have a dermatologist, but I also use skincare, but I take vitamins and, but I still need to go to my doctor for this thing. And it's kind of like a one-stop shop. It's very integrated. It sounds like, I mean, integrative health is its own thing, but we're talking kind of about integrative beauty. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think that 
I talked a little bit about, you know, sexual health and, and women's sexual health and wellness kind of being an extended category within beauty. I think another really hot area within beauty is menopause and sort of how um, things like skin, hair um, react to the, the lowering of hormones and then what kind of beauty products and supplements you might need to address them. So, you know, that's, those are some of the areas that I think are, are new. I can tell you that it wasn't that 20 years ago in, in the industry, we didn't know about these things. It's that the social acceptance of kind of talking about talking them. Talking about them. Um, was just at a very different place. Um, and so I think that's that's not innovation in technology that's changed, right? That's a cultural shift that has made the conversations more acceptable. An open, um, an open opportunity, I guess, for the industry and for yeah. these things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we you mentioned celebrity a little bit there, you know, just new celebrity brands popping up all the time. And today I saw that Naomi Watts actually is launching a skincare brand, but it's for menopausal women. And I saw a post that said, you know, watch out world, there are going to be a billion women, you know, going through menopause. And I think the idea that a celebrity who normally would be on a very youth-focused or glamour-focused type of campaign. You know, Jennifer Lopez has her own J.Lo Glow skincare, and Rihanna has, you know, a whole makeup line. And Ariana Grande just launched, and Harry Styles, and Selena Gomez, and, you know, on and on and on. Um, but the fact that, you know, sort of celebrity is coming together a little bit with cause and a little bit with women's health issues, I think is kind of an interesting, again, sort of um, convergence of, of topics. Uh, absolutely. And it's time, right? I mean, unfortunately, for better or worse, uh, the beauty industry and, you know, I came out of the fashion industry in the first part of my career representing people in this space you know, all of the makeup and all the hair and all of the glamour and glitz and the colors that were trending and not trend. And I think it's really nice to have some real conversation because that's the fun part of it. But now it's like, you know, the, the people who aren't close to that industry might not know that that's the fun creativity. And now we're starting to see some, you know, influential talk, hopefully, um, that moves the needle in a, in a better direction. We're, we're at time, but I did want to just ask one question yeah. towards the Please. fun part. Um, so what are some of the things that you are most looking forward to over the course of the next, like, say, two to five years, the near end future of beauty that you think are just like, wow. Uh, wow. Great. That, that's a great question. Um, I think you know, very honestly, I mean, I think there are, you know, one of the things that has happened because people are sort of not going back to the office um, is that there is this kind of loss, if you will, of what I call realistic glamour and sort of realistic beauty. I mean, I think there's some very far flung um, things, uh, but one is just sort of the return to wearing makeup, but in a, in a, not a natural way, but in a realistic glamour way. I think that's one. Um, the second is I'm, I'm, 
it's not a category that I work in, but I'm very interested in sort of the innovation that's happening in hair um, and all of the things that I think are now available to people about their hair, um, but doing it themselves, whether it's people who have very curly hair, making it straight or, and not necessarily with tools or things that damage the hair. And I say that because I have done a lot of studies around how much um, your self-confidence is associated specifically to your hair. So that's- Especially um, for minorities where they're looked at it perceived as differently, right? Exactly, exactly. So that's the second. And then the third is, um, I happen to have a love of the fragrance industry because I think it's the most um, sort of old world artisanal craft. I've always been fascinated by the this idea of the the, the perfumer and that, you know, there's a very limited number in the world. And, you know, you know, as I'm, I am, I'm, as I'm, youth, I'm smiling because you, of okay. course, introduced me to Valeniga by and yeah. her perfume, which was one of my first episodes because I also adore fragrance. So the future of fragrance was episode three, I think. And so, you know, fragrance um, sometimes gets sort of a, a, a bad name because it's 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 costly when you produce and you really use fine ingredients and, and you care about the craft. But interestingly, coming out of COVID, the category that's actually carrying the industry, like literally growing 50%, is fine fragrance. And really, the, the, the very high-end fragrances that um, incorporate a great deal of novelty and creativity. And so the reason why that excites me is I believe that is a craft and an industry that won't die. And, you know, sometimes you think with all of this innovation, you're going to lose the, the creativity and the craftsmanship. And I don't, I don't think that we will. And I'm interested to see how it evolves. I love that. Um, Alana, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your, I mean, incredible expertise on the future of beauty with, with Future of XYZ listeners. Thank you so much, Lisa. Take care. Thanks. And then for everyone listening, watching, if you don't already subscribe, make sure you do so on YouTube or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you or someone you know should be a guest on Future of XYZ, uh, check us out on Instagram and also visit future-of.xyz to nominate. Um, thank you. And we'll be back next week. Uh, make sure that you check out your own beauty um, at revive.com. Thanks for listening to The Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to The Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.